to Court Branch or Clearance Center for up to 70% off new retail prices. Stock is updated regularly, so you never know what kind of treasures you'll find. We offer a wide variety of stylish furniture for any budget, and every piece is Court certified, so you can let your personality show in every room. And now through April 3rd is our tax refund sale. Mention refund 25 and take 25% off living room and dining room sets. Use your refund and refresh your home with stylish finds from Court Furniture Clearance Center. Go to CourtClearanceFurniture.com today. So hello and welcome to the first ever live episode of Fair Game. We haven't done a podcast in about six months, so we thought we'd throw ourselves in at the deep end. So thanks for coming along to join us here at the Dublin Podcast Festival. I'm Emily Glenn. And I'm Elaine Buckley. If you've never listened to Fair Game before, then there's a whole archive of episodes available on iTunes, so just search and subscribe for us there. And also make sure you're following us on Twitter at Fair Game Cast, where we have a constant stream of updates on women's sports from both at home and abroad. So, the LGFA All-Ireland Finals take place in Croke Park today, and by the end of it, there will be three new sets of champions crowned, with all of last year's holders having been eliminated earlier on in the championship. So, in the junior final, Derry are taking on Fermanagh. Later on, Tip will face up against Tyrone in the intermediate title, and the main event is Dublin versus Mayo in the senior final. Today marks the first time that Dublin and Mayo have met in an All-Ireland Final since 2003. That is a long time ago. And that was indeed the last time Mayo lifted the Brendan Martin Trophy, with Dublin having to wait until 2010 before this woman here got her hands in it for the first time for the county. Um, In between, both teams have experienced a lot of heartbreak and a lot of near misses. But now with the... Now that Cork's reign of terror is over, one or other of them is going to take home the trophy this evening. It's all very exciting. It's going to be an epic match, and there's a lot to talk about here. From league form through to championship campaigns to this past week of intense media build-up and scrutiny, and ultimately what it all means for football in the bigger picture. And joining us to talk through it all, we have All-Ireland champion, all-star, all-round Mayo legend, Claire O'Hara. Hello. We have uh, 2010 All-Ireland winning captain and all-star midfielder, Denise Masterson. And we have the one-woman encyclopedia of football that is... Emma Duffy from the 42.e. If you're ever going to a sports quiz, this is the woman you want on your team, guaranteed. I have no all-star. And, uh, <laughs> she hasn't got the all-star yet, but up Cavan. And um, she's also going to act as referee between Dublin and Mayo here as well. I really should be sitting in the middle, should I? And we, yeah, we, we should have we looked at that. But thanks so much for joining us here on All-Ireland Final Day. Thanks for joining us. So guys, it's, it's All-Ireland Final morning. Now, Denise and Claire, you guys have been there yourselves. For the, for the vast majority of us who've never experienced that and are probably never going to experience that. What goes through your mind on a day like this? How are those Dublin and Mayo players feeling this Um, They'll be very excited. They'll be nervous. Um, I suppose I was lucky in my few years that I was not living at home, so I had the complete solitude of my own house where I know some of the girls would have found it difficult on the morning with a lot of well-wishers knocking in and neighbours and stuff. So I suppose they'll be just trying to keep their head in the game, but they'll be nervous but really excited. They'll just want to get to the team bus to be with the team. Yeah, I think I was more nervous than excited, to be <laughs> honest. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the day itself, you wake up and everything's around the prep and thank God they have stuff organised for you to do because on the morning of, you're just like, you kind of want your mind to be occupied a little bit more than just getting totally buried into doomsday scenario. Because there is that whole visualisation thing. You, you somehow in the morning wake up and imagine yourself playing terribly before you start imagining yourself playing well. Um, so generally, I think they'll be nervous, um, especially the people who haven't experienced it before. Um, and then as it gets closer, hopefully a little bit more excited. 
And speaking of the experience, Claire, um, playing in Croke Park is a, is a huge deal in itself and something that women's players only get to experience on, on All-Ireland Finals Day. Until this year when history was made and uh, Dublin and Mayo got to play mm. out a league match um, as a curtain raiser for Dublin Beavers Common in the, in the Men's National League. So for the, as we said, Mayo last competed in a final in Croke Park in 2007. You were there yourself. But for the players as part of the panel today who have never had that experience who got to play that league match in Croke Park, how beneficial would that, would that be to them psychologically going into today? I think it'll take a little bit more of the unknown away insofar as at least you're familiar with the stadium and the dressing rooms because it is kind of a little bit, aw you know, it, you're awestruck when you go into the whole setup itself. But it, no matter which way you put it, today will be very different even for the people who experience the league because... You know, just even getting the guy, the escort in and the fans everywhere and the noise levels at the ladies Gaelic final are crazy. So I think that's very hard to adjust to the fact that you can't hear your teammates at all, even during warm up. So um, I'd say it'll help, but it's not going to get them over the line of having experienced an Ireland final day rather than that league match. So Emma, listen, you're resident neutral here for the day and you've been covering the championships in great detail this season for the 42.ie. What kind of matchups can we expect this afternoon in the intermediate and senior finals? Talk to us about the style of play we can expect as these two teams square up against each other. Uh, I suppose looking at you know the whole build-up to this, a lot of attention has been put on the senior final on this huge showdown between Dublin and Mayo, and you know the intermediate final might have maybe come in a bit under the radar, but we're looking at a huge match here uh, between Tiff and Tyrone. Like you know, Tyrone obviously were there in 2010 in the senior final um, and, you know, they're competing at Division 2 in the league. They're kind of up there in the mix again, uh, whereas this tip team are kind of, they're building as well. They've been unbeaten all year, whether it be through replays, through extra time, whatnot. They've come through a huge amount of grit to get here. Um, and I think that it's going to be, it's going to be a big, big match. Uh, looking at the tip team, maybe there are a few players that will have a big say on the game, Ashley Maloney being one of them. Uh, she really has come to the fore and as a rising star throughout the years, and I think she's kind of broken it this year. Um, then Ashley McCarthy, look, Samantha Lambert, there's a huge amount of a host of talent in that tip team. Uh, likewise with Tyrone, you're looking at Gemma Begley, you know, to have that uh, in full forward is, is insane. Uh, then when we move through to the senior final, you know, there is that kind of cliched thing that the midfield battle is going to decide the game, but I think it's going to have a huge, huge factor today, that half-back line, midfield line, half-forward line. Uh, looking at the teams that have been submitted, it's um, Fiona McHale and Aileen Gilroy who have been playing out of their skin this year for Mayo. Uh, and then Dublin, we have Lauren McGee and Alwyn Carey, two young upcoming players who have really made their mark too. But look, anything could happen on the day. Um, I think that's going to be huge. Then looking at the two explosive kind of forward lines, Mayo, you know, I can't believe we've got so far in without mentioning... Don't mention it. ...the name. <laughs> <laughs> but look, we know, we know Cora is going to have a huge say on this game. Um, but this year as well, she has been backed up by Sarah O'Grace Kelly, Neof Kelly. You know, they've really kind of stepped up to the mark this year and kind of had their say. And then Dublin, we're looking at Sinead Ahern at the other end, who's kind of, you know, she's kind of coming into this a little bit more quietly than Cora, but she has huge potential to have a massive say on this day too. Yeah, and when we talk about, when we look at their last two meetings in particular, like mm -hmm. it, the, the league match back in March was decided by a last minute correspondent in 45, and their last championship meeting semi-final last year was denied, 
decided by a last minute Sinead Ahern free kick. So those two, it could come down to last kick of the game, which one of those is, is, is going to be stepping up to take it. Um, now, it's no secret that Dublin are the hot favourites go, going into, into today. Um, a lot of impartial people are saying that, you know, this is, this is their year. Um, and they're the bookies' favourites as well, having been finalists for the past three years running. They have been, I think, to put it mildly, to hell and back as a squad for the, for the past three years, losing those three finals to Cork. They've lost three finals by a margin of a total of four points. Like it's, I just can't even imagine what, what, what that must feel like. And Denise, you were there with them in, 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 at the end of the 2014 final. How will that squad, how will that group of players have channeled the past three years of heartbreak into going again today, to this afternoon against Mayo? Um, well, I think actually Cora said it as well in terms of talking to the younger Mayo players about it, like Crow Park's an amazing place to play, but it is the loneliest place in the world when you lose, and these Dublin girls have experienced that now for the past three years to very marginal defeat, so um, I think it's huge for them that Mick Bowen came in this year. I think they'll have a very different mentality going into today. Um, I suppose they're an even though they're still quite young, they're a very experienced squad now in terms of what they've gone through in Crow Park. And I hope, I hope that they're just going to have enough this year. My people might question the psychology in the Dublin squad. I just hope they're going to have enough this year in that regard because I think physically, pace-wise, they're going to have it to beat Mayo. And I just think they've gone through enough now the past couple of years to get over the line today. But um, I think it will really stand to them. It has to. I mean, even in terms of bringing the team together stronger, every year you come back, it's, it's such a commitment after those type of defeats in September to get yourself geared up to go and start hitting weights again in November, December. Like, it's huge. So when you make that commitment, you don't do a half-heartedly. So I'm hoping it will drive them over the line this year. Claire, you were playing for Mayo the last time they won an All-Ireland final in 2003 and the last time they lost one again in 2007. And it's been a long wait in between that and today. Now, Dublin are on a bit of a redemption mission, if we, as we've just heard. And I think, you know, how, how, what's the theme of um, Frank Brown's message to the Mayo girls going to be? Um, is it Cora Swang song or, or how is he going to motivate that team? Yeah, he managed, Frank was managing us back in 2007. By the way, I was really young when I played in 2003, so I'm so old now, thanks for that out. Um, but, so, he, we only, he only managed us actually for a single year at the time, and now he's two years back in. And they seem to be, even just listening to the team from the outside, they seem to be in, in a very strong psychological place. So I, I think he, he's managing to get them to a point where they believe in themselves a lot more. Strategically, with regard to what they're, they're going for, it's, it's hard to tell because it's not like those sort of tactics are shared outside. We can only, just from observing them throughout the, the championship. Um, but... I, I don't think this year it's going to be, you know, the chorus Johnson is the answer to all of our problems because I think we've relied on that so much over the past few years and um, it hasn't, like, paid off its full dividend. And a lot of the younger girls are really stepping up this year. So it, it does appear that, you know, whilst she's still, you can still see she's still the leader in the, in the forward line, that... The, the license has been given to the younger ones to go for it, you know, make mistakes. And, they, you know, there's forgiveness there and an acceptance that everything's not going to go perfectly on the day. I think there was always a little bit of a fear factor for younger players of, you know, making errors, going for it themselves, and then going, God, maybe we should have left it with Cora. <laughs> <laughs> 
she has racked up uh, some impressive score lines on the way to Croke Park. Mm. But the, the two teams have had kind of drastically different paths to the final, I suppose. Um, we go with Mayo first, that humbling at the hands of Galway in the Connacht final, being forced through the scenic route and, let's be honest, the tougher side of the draw. Meanwhile, Dublin galloped to their sixth Leinster title in a row and um, have, I think they had 14-point margin wins in both their quarterfinal and their semi-final. So how will the two kind of... Emma, for, for yourself, how, how, how will both teams be set up for today based on the work they've put in so far? I think the thing about, you know, a final, All-Ireland final day is sometimes maybe that won't play a big part. Uh, it's what happens on the day. But look, Mayo will come into this kind of... They have huge momentum behind them. Look, they've had, they've had a tough path to get here. As you said, you know, they had that, that beating in the Connacht final to Galway and that kind of came as a bit of shock bit of a shock and then they went through the qualifier route Kildare I suppose they gained a lot of confidence from that game it was a huge huge win in the end there was there was a big big score difference but I think Kildare as well they're a tr transitional side you know they had a player sent off or forced through injury forced off through injury they had a sin bit in the second half and then Mayo really just came to life in the second half uh, and I think from talking to some of the girls you know I was speaking to Sarah Rowe last week and she said that that was the game where she felt that herself knee of grace a few of those girls they kind of got great confidence from that game going forward and they're like look we'll just go at it uh, then I suppose they went through to it was um, Donegal then and that was another huge huge win uh, I suppose it has been said that Donegal were kind of fancied for a tilt at a title maybe this year or a final even um, but that was a huge statement from Mayo that day and I think they took that forward then and you know to beat Cork um, albeit it did come down to the wire, but to beat Cork and to have that kind of momentum going into a final is huge. Uh, then Dublin, meanwhile, I don't know if they've been truly tested, but look, they, they put up that huge scoreline against Kerry in the semi-final, and you know, it can't be forgotten that Kerry dominated down in Munster. Um, and then, you know, the championship has been a bit crazy this year. <laughs> like, if you think just through the games, like Kerry dominated down in Munster, they beat Cork obviously, then Mayo beat Cork, and then there was the whole thing with Galway, and Cork hammered Galway, but Galway had won in Connacht, so yeah. you know. Don't forget Waterford beating Cork first of <laughs> exactly, all to start off exactly. the season. Um, but look, it has been an exciting championship, and hopefully now today we'll just, we'll just live up to the billing. Denise, you've already mentioned uh, the impact that, that the return of Mick Bowen has had for the Dublin, Dublin team, even. Um, now he's been back at the helm for uh, a year now um, and he's made a few key positional changes so talk to us a little bit about how that has impacted the style of play that we've seen from Dublin through the championship this year and if that's enough to kind of see them finally over the line this year. Um, yeah I think Greg had put in a lot of work with the younger players but I think Mick has come in now and I suppose fine-tuned a couple of things like everybody knows the potential of Noelle Healy I mean she's a super footballer but Mick definitely has her playing in a slightly different role and I think it's hugely benefiting the team. Um, she's playing in closer around goal, and she's, you know, it looks like she's been given slightly different instructions maybe than what she has been doing, and I think it's working really well. Um, I think Nicole Owens has been given a much freer role, and she's having a great season in there. Um, Nairs, um, Sinead Hearn, she, um, I think she's playing some of her best football, actually, that she's played since probably she's come back since she took a year out as a break, you know. He's moved Alwyn Carey from the back line into midfield and uh, Alwyn has a serious engine 
And I think they're both, they're going to need that in midfield today against the Mayo midfield. I think there's going to be a huge battle in the middle of the park today. Um, I think it's going to be actually one of the key points, which I think is a little bit being overlooked as well because the forward lines are so strong and both teams are so physical. But I do think that the midfield battle is going to be a key one today as well because they're four very strong physical players. But um, I suppose Mick has huge experience and like I said, I don't think they're huge changes. I think they're tweaks. But I think Dublin are playing a different style of football this year. I think their forward line are moving really well. And I think they're very positive tweaks that have been done. So, and You mentioned Mayo's, uh, I suppose, Mayo's physicality, particularly in midfield there. Um, there has been a huge shift in momentum in them, Claire, since, since the Connacht final loss to, to Galway. Now, that's only 12 short weeks ago when they've come back. They walloped Kildare. They knocked out the Great White Hope Donegal, and then they beat, they beat Cork. From going from, from losing a provincial final, what do you reckon has been going on behind the scenes there? Have they been just like pulling tractors up hills with their teeth or something? <laughs> or like, they, that, that loss just seems to have turned them into superwomen. <laughs> yeah, they start pulling tractors in January, I'd say. <laughs> um, no, I think, um, you know, it's funny actually. Like, you know, we were talking about how crazy the championship has been and it, it really has been for Mayo. And it kind of mirrored the men's as well, funnily, you know, because theirs was super crazy as well. You know, they were losing to Galway and barely beating Clare. And, and, and Mayo ladies have kind of followed along the same trajectory. But, I mean, they've seemed to be learning their lessons, funnily enough, you know, from each match as they were going along. But if you were to pick a couple of the, what, what has changed, I would have said just aggression alone, like just a sheer aggression. Like you can kind of see the difference in the, how the players were behaving on the field against the likes of Galway and how they were against Donegal. It's like as if they put it up about four gears in those few weeks. So I'd say they did a lot of soul searching after the Galway game. They probably went in a bit naive and sort of said, okay, yeah, you know, we've been working really hard. You know, we lost by a point to Dublin. And sometimes you go into a match and you kind of psychologically think this is ours to win. And then when they put up such a poor performance, they probably looked at themselves in the mirror and said, like, really have to work way harder than that to be performing at this level. So I, I imagine it took a bit of a loss to give them a kick up the ass, to be honest. And that was the difference, really. Particularly the, the Donegal game, they were, they were mm. very, um, let's say, played on the edge that day. Yeah, I remember talking to did. Emma in Cusick Park afterwards. We were just like, Jesus, what did they have for <laughs> breakfast? Mm. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you had been captain them, them that day, now would you have been telling them off or would you have been going there? <laughs> um, I think obviously it paid off, right? In the end, at the end of the day, they did play on the edge and there is a little bit of that you can tell in the last couple of matches. They've played on the edge at the tackling boundary, um, which, which to be honest against the likes of Dublin, they have to be careful because there's been black cards, there's been close to yellows and they do... In ladies football, like the sin bin really does sacrifice any tactics you have around sort of kick out strategy. So I do think they have to be a little bit more sensible with regard to where they're giving away some of that aggression or the fouls itself, especially with Sinead O'Hearn taking the freeze. Yeah, and Fiona Doherty's going for the three in a row on the yellow cards today. Yeah, I know, I know. She's Fiona Doherty was roaring at the screen at her the last day. Um, <laughs> I was like, would you let go of her jersey? Um, but... All in all, to be honest, I do think to win an All-Ireland against this Dublin team is going to take that level of aggression. So would I be encouraging them to bring that again? I probably would. 
I'd be just like, let's be a little bit more sensible, like talking one by one with each of them as to where and how to do that. Um, because I think it might be the difference between Dublin and Mayo today. Like when I, I played club football in Dublin for like the last number of, well, the, the end of my career, let's say. <laughs> and uh, I, the, the thing you most notice is actually the psychology or the level of aggression at which football is played in both counties. And I do think that that can be the difference sometimes. You've actually quite a unique insight there, being a Mayo woman but pl who played club football with Nafina. So you've played against the Carnacon women in an, in an All-Ireland club final. You've played in a defensive line of a Dublin club team playing against those Mayo women in a different green and red shirt. So you've, you've a very unique insight into what, it, what it's going to take to kind of to play against the likes, play against Cora Staunton. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately I had to play club against her down in Mayo as well. Um, so yeah, we played against Carnacon a lot, like basically with different jerseys on, but the aggression thing is noticeable. You know, when we went down, I think Nafina even as a club, and when I came, I was like, God, the players are so nice, and people, it's really as ladies Gaelic here, you know, I think they, they play with a level of honesty that you kind of hope the Mayo men don't, you know, like, it, it, you know, they just play a really honest football, and it's rare you'd see Dublin players like really get at each other's throat. Like, and I, we used to absolutely kill each other in Mayo. Uh, so, you know, I think there's a level of aggression that in Mayo they just bring. And Karen Cohen probably instill that a bit in, in Mayo football itself, just as the dominant club. I mean, they play on the edge every single game. They just psychologically, they expect 400% off each other in every single game, unfortunately. So like when we would play against them, they'd score like 20 goals against us, God love us. But uh, that, that sort of difference in, in, in the way it's expected that you play football is definitely different in the two counties. So when we went down to play Carnacon, I was like, oh my God, like I was a little bit more terrified than playing the Leinster team. Because I was like, these women are going to like come like all guns blazing, and they did, you know, that's just the way they play football. Talking about all guns blazing and kind of, you know, playing on the line, um, Emma, there's been a lot of media coverage this week, mm -hmm. an unprecedented level of build-up for a ladies All-Ireland final, some might say, um, and some of it has even kind of singled out key Mayo footballers. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Dublin's Mick Bone maybe took it too far with his accusations against the Cork team, or the, the Mayo team, and like how... Yeah, talk to us a little bit about the media side of this. I suppose, yeah, that, that kind of war awards that uh, broke out during the week. You know, it spiced things up nicely, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I was at the media event where, where it was said, uh, I actually wasn't in the huddle at the time because I'd spoken to Mick, Mick sorry, last week. Um, but, you know, he had said that, that Cora knew how to play the game, that she, like, she kind of messed with referees' heads and stuff like that. Uh, and then... Uh, it kind of maybe was a bit of bait and Peter Lee, he picked up on it and came back saying that, you know, that they were they were uncalled for and whatnot. Um, look, I think Mick is a clever man. Uh, he's been involved with many teams throughout the years, uh, you know, since he since he managed that 2003 All-Ireland, or losing team, sorry. Um, and, you know, he, he knows the men's game and whatnot as well. And I think it is a bit of a clever move to try and mess with her a little bit and kind of just try and mess with the Mayo management. But then again, you know, it maybe was blown a little bit out of proportion too. The thing about the head injuries was, was I just thought a bit 
particularly malicious, like saying that, that the Mayo players were using head injuries to run down the clock against mm -hmm. Cork. Um, and and Leahy came out and said, well, actually, one of them had to go for a brain, brain scan, scan during the week. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's nothing to make someone shut up and regret saying something than, than something as serious as that. Um, that, that. Denise, kind of, uh, from a player perspective, during All-Ireland Final Week, now, obviously, we're in a bit of a different era now since kind of even the growth of Twitter, in, even in the last two or three years. How much of it are you absorbing as a player, or it's probably a personal thing, but would you have just kind of not read the papers or not not gone near any, any kind of articles being written or how do you cope with that in All-Ireland all Final Week? Um, yeah, I suppose you would steer clear of a lot of it and I mean managers would probably encourage the girls to do that. Um, I'm sure Mick is also very clear in talking to the girls about any sort of mind games or whatever you want to call them that he might be getting involved in. That would be his job and it would be nothing to do with the girls. Like They would be very focused and whilst all this, you know circus media stuff might be gone out, outside it like the team would be very focused I mean I don't think they'd be getting into any of it you know and I would agree in the comments about the head but I mean with regard to core I think it's only nearly follow, following up on what Claire said you know and maybe it's something Dublin do need more of I mean they're very clean players like our forward line Sinead Hearn is a very skillful player and she wouldn't I mean maybe sometimes it's too honest in how they'd be nearly back up on their feet haven't been fouled, do you know what I mean? And I do think it was a little bit misconstrued in terms of the comments regarding Cora, the head injuries, it'd be a different matter. But definitely Mick would be under no illusions in telling the girls, this is my this is my remit. You just focus on the game and I think they'd be keeping their heads down regarding it all. I don't think they'd be taking too much heed of it at all. Mm, and even in say the in the in the 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 couple of years since since you've retired, just kind of observing this week, have you noticed a difference in the level of courage and, your, and or of coverage and yourself as well, Claire. Kind of, have, can you feel that interest in the game is on the way up? Uh, definitely, I think people are more informed. Um, there might have been media coverage, but I think it was more that there were two teams going at it in the ladies All Ireland final. Whereas now, I think that people actually have more opinions and more people are more informed on the game than possibly when we were playing back in 2010. People might have shown interest and there might have been articles, but I don't think it would have been to the same detail, let's say, as Mick commenting or, you know, I think when the Mayo manager came back out, he was talking about them and their video analysis of Dublin and that they had spotted stuff as well. So I don't think that level of detail would have been gone into. Definitely, I think people are taking more of a, an interest in it. Yeah, definitely. Claire, yourself? Ah, yeah, it's the, the interest has definitely grown. You can see the media coverage has grown with it. Um, I don't know how much of it is linked to Lidl just and, and that partnership raising the awareness of the game outside of it. And also the fact that Cork are not in the final. Like, I, I'd say the poor journalists are like, what are we going to say this year? Uh, because it's like the 12th year in a row that Cork are in the final and they won the last 11. So I think the fact that it's a little bit fresh and has brought a little bit new energy and outside interest in the game. And and the fact that it's actually a double billing as well as matching up with the men's yeah. kind of brought a little bit of a, a little a bit of an extra edge to it as well. But yeah, it's definitely noticed there's there's more coverage for sure. It's been a huge amount of coverage this week and it's been really interesting to see uh, some of the kind of lesser known players um but who are actually stalwarts of the game. We just you know, have never really heard about them at like national print media level. Like there was a super interview, we'll link to it in the show notes, um, with uh, Fiona McHale during the week in the Examiner and just like super level of coverage. And I think you're probably right. It is that kind of, you know, the absence of Quirk's dominance 
there is a fresh story to be told there. Um, but you're totally right. The level of impact that you know the little sponsorship has had on the game. Um, you played at a time when Mayo, the squad, would have gone through the mill looking for even the bare minimum of standards. So talk to us a little bit about how player welfare and support has changed. Do you notice a big change by today's standards? Um, and do you think that you know the level of media focus on player welfare has helped that, or and and the role of um, that? Yeah, the little sponsorship in that as well. Um, yeah, no, you can notice even from the outside. Unfortunately, I wasn't there to experience the upward trajectory on player welfare. Like when I finished up, we were still training on rugby pitches that we could find somewhere. Um, but yeah, there was a, there was a there was a big storm, I guess, back starting in in twenty ten, and then even the FAI. And the ladies game talking about, I think that's what actually raised it as a national platform, I think, around ladies sport and welfare. Because when you found out actually what they were going through as a team with regard to player welfare, I started feeling a little bit less sorry actually for the GA girls um, because they seem to be living in a, in a in a place that just seemed ridiculous at an international level. So the fact that media were starting to talk about it definitely I think forced county boards and sponsors and everyone to take heed and, and start taking it a little bit more seriously. But it, it's from what I can tell, it varied hugely between counties. You know, player welfare was taken more seriously in, in some counties than others. And I don't think we're at a perfect place still, right? The only thing is that the professionalism around at least the, the player prep and at least injury prevention and, and conditioning and the, the minor things that help at least in performance seem to have improved dramatically um, for sure during the, the last sort of six, seven years. But I, I imagine that, you know, I'd be shocked if that after every training session there's hot showers or showers at all. <laughs> and, you know, it's been two years since uh, the WGPA was formed. So what kind of impact do you think that that formation has had um, as kind of a, a lobby group, you know, um, yeah, to kind of force the, the hand of county boards well, it was great to see them um, formed to begin with at all. And that took initiative from the ladies themselves. You know, I think we, as a body, like of players, stood back and sort of hoped that some, you know, knight in shining armour might come in and rescue the situation. But it was great to see the girls, Aoife and Fiona, and um, the girls that are, were like, you know, part of that formation of the group. It definitely has helped. And I mean, it gets government backing now as an organisation, which is only going to help the players like back when we were maybe 2003, 2004, the men's representative body came down and said, well, we'd like to represent you as well. And there was always, we were quite young, first of all, as players to be making those decisions at the time. And we didn't fully understand the complexities of having two different organisations or being represented by a men's body. And is it actually then a men's and a lady's body? So it was all like, uh, we'll, just, we'll just keep going with what we've got. Um, and there was always a fear of us being absorbed by like a men's organisation for the, for player welfare, um, because I I think people were afraid that they wouldn't have our best interests at heart. I'm not sure whether that would have been the case or not. But it's great to see the women's body. Like it's it's superb to see how much coverage they get as well. And it can only be a positive. It can only be a positive. Mm -hmm. And even when you kind of look at the I suppose the starting lineup of the WGPA. Fiona McHale's playing for Mayo today, Gemma Begley's playing for Tyrone today, Aoife Lane's involved with the Mayo backroom team. It's people who are kind of at the coalface, um, kind of using kind of hands-on ex experience that they have themselves and ch channeling it back into, I suppose, making the game better better for all. 
But Denise, kind of focusing on your kind of um, on your kind of playing career, I suppose from when you got involved with the team, onto winning the Ireland, onto winning the All Ireland in 2010 and lifting Brenda Martin. What impact did winning the trophy have for for Dublin Dublin women's football from your perspective? Um, I suppose on the day in 2010. Um, when we went back to the, the hotel, um, it really struck me. Um, you know, the older people who had been involved in Dublin ladies football for so long and what it meant to them on the night. I suppose it's so insular. Your training is so, so confined to the squad. And, you know, they're, you're nearly, they're the only people you're kind of seeing for the couple of months leading up to it that you forget how important it is to so many other people within the county. And I suppose when we went back to the hotel that night with the cup and saw what it had meant to all these other people that had been involved in the county boards and, you know, it was huge. It was really huge. And I think it gave the county a great impetus to push on. And I mean, I think the numbers in our underage squads jumped up to, I think it was 10,000 in the year following that, you know, it was huge in terms of getting people out and, um, like an All-Ireland win, it's very special. I mean, I've only been involved for one, but I mean, it was very special and I think it can only improve and like you said, with the media coverage, it's really putting it out there and um, for me, it would have been a couple of women in particular who had been involved in ladies football for so long and getting old thanks when you talk about some of the players that are huge players like Fiona McHale who mightn't be, you know, but like some of the ladies involved in Dublin football that are going around 20 years maybe that, you know, it was so big to them and meant so much to them. Um, and I think that's the great thing about Gaelic football, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. We were actually only only watching this week um, Cleon O'Connor's episode of, of Leica Gale. And when you look at that Dublin team when they won in 2010 and kind of the, the familiar faces that had been involved up up to that point, and I read a great piece um, that Sinead Farrell did before last year's final, kind of chatting about 2010 and when the day that Dublin finally turned the screw was 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 the name of the piece. And um, they were talking about a, a kind of a rally cry that Mary Nevin did at half time in that game. Can you remember what 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 was said, or is it is it all just a blur, or do you remember yourself what what you said in the dressing room at half time to go out and win it? Um, like we were in a comfortable position in that game. I'm sure everyone else thought we were, but I don't think any of us believed it. I know I was saying it's level score again going out at half time. And Mary Nevin was more saying the whole heading of the article was turn the screw like we weren't the the score line was really irrelevant to us going in at half time. We didn't feel comfortable, like we just wanted we were going to keep going and keep going. So I mean I think we might have been I'm not sure if there was 15 points in it at one stage. And I remember one of the girls on the sideline when I was taking the sideline saying, you know, we have it. I think there was only five, six minutes to go. And I was saying, huh, five, six <laughs> minutes to go. You know, like we still have a job to do. Like, I think that's how focused we were. Like we were not letting that All Ireland get away from us. And even with the lead at half time, like Mary said, like we turned the screw. Like we were very, we were very focused on what we had to do that day. And I think not just for us, but for so many people. I know Fiona Corker, like, who'd been part of the team, she was doing the commentary for TG Cahar. And so I wouldn't have heard it at the time, but I remember after hearing it. And I mean, she was quite emotional. And she was so happy for the girls on the pitch, I suppose, because it was the first All-Ireland. A lot of people felt it was theirs. And I think that was very special for Dublin. We've spoken a little bit about, you know, the growth of the game in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, attendance figures have been 
on an upward trajectory. And today, I know the LGFA are expecting another record-breaking turnout, um, upwards of 35,000, and there's even talk of them hitting the 40,000 mark. Um, yet, at the semi-finals only a couple of weeks ago, there would have been a fracture, a fraction of that, um, that figure present. So, Emma, can you talk to us a little bit about the disconnect between finals day and the rest of the championship? Um, you know, what, what is that disconnect, and how do we, or, or how do the LGFA um, sort it out going forward? I suppose, yeah, you know, it, it can't be denied that finals day is kind of the marquee event of the year. Everything everything is focused on that. And, you know, there has been a huge amount of media coverage. There has been a huge amount of conversation about this match today, about the intermediate decider and the junior decider as well. But look, you know, there is this kind of concept that people just remember who gets to the final. Um, you know, what happened previously in the championship isn't really remembered as much with the ladies football I think um, but look yeah the, the thing with the All-Ireland series I suppose is that the, the matches are played at neutral venues um, you know to have that Mayo and Cork semi-final up in Cavan there was a there was a lot of a discussion about that um, but it, remember it was a double header as well there were two teams playing in, in an intermediate uh, semi-final beforehand but look that is something that I can't really get my head around why, you know, girls who play football, girls who play club football in a county won't go and support their county team throughout the year. Like, they'll go around the country with the men's team, but they won't do that with the women's team. Like, it's so annoying, I just think. Um, I don't really know what the kind of, I suppose, the... I can't think of the word. Solution. <laughs> solution. solution is. You got it. Yeah, uh, solution. Look, there is the whole coming under the one umbrella and whatnot. Um, but I think the Camogie Association, the LGFA, they're kind of, they they take pride in that they're standalone um, organisations and they want to kind of stay that way. But maybe it is time to consider that. They, like they are making, the individual organisations are making gains, but it's just when they kind of come into conflict with each other that, that there's a problem because each have their own set of TV rights, each have their own arrangements in, in, in terms of pitches and, and stuff like that. In terms of them coming together now, it hasn't been as much of an issue this year, um, but, but the, the Cork quarterfinal where Libby Coppinger had to basically decide between the camogie and, and, and the football um, play, playing with Cork on that day, like those kind of things, it just seems we get to a certain point in the season, it's like, oh, everything's going great. And then there always just seems to be one thing that kind of happens that makes we, makes people realise, oh, God, they are actually all out on their own in this. Yeah, I suppose that, that whole Libby Coppinger situation, you know, um, it was something that was that was discussed um, highly. It was something I worked on quite a bit. Um, but look, there is the whole player welfare argument and that was coming from the court camp. But... I think we need to kind of take a step back and look that it was it was one player. Um, and from speaking to the LGFA and from hearing from the Camogie Association, they had the TV rights in place, they had the schedule in place. You know, that's a huge, huge gain to have have those quarterfinals and semifinals on national television for everyone to watch. Like, I remember that day was brilliant because um, the ladies' football was on. Like we had, I think it was the two matches um, on TG Cahar, and then you had the the semi-finals that evening, which was brilliant. Um, so look, there is kind of there's two sides to every to every coin, I think.
So look guys, we're coming to the end of our podcast today um, and we are on a promise to get you ladies to Crow Park by one o'clock. So we're going to finish up here with some quick fire questions. Um, from each of you, please, really quickly, uh, the key player for each team. Denise? Of course, Daunton for Mayo. And <laughs> I'm probably going to go with her counterpart up the other end of the pitch, Sinead Heron for Dublin. Claire? Um, uh, yes. I'm going to go with Grace Kelly, just to see, I'm hoping that <laughs> <laughs> inspiration alone will not put all of this pressure on Gora Staunton. Um, and on the Dublin team, I actually think Sinead Goldrick has such a big influence on, on the Dublin team that every game I see, I think she's one of the most influential players they have on the, on, on the pitch. Uh, I'm going to go with I think Fiona McHale, I think she has been kind of the engine room of this Mayo team. Um, I'm going to go with her and then I'm going to go with Sinead O'Hearn from Dublin. Elaine? Um, Claire, great minds think alike. I have the exact same two as you. I think Goldie for Dublin. Um, she is, when, she, when, she's, when she's on her game, she is just such an inspirational leader and I think backs win games, forwards decide by how much and, and Sinead Goldrick is testament to that have a feeling they're going to put her on Cora today, which I think then turns it into something completely different. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping for a really big game from, from Goldrick today. And from Mayo, uh, Grace Kelly as well. I think she scored the goal of the season um, against Donegal in Cusick Park. It was just such an absolute cracker. And she's really been allowed into it a lot more this year. And I think for all the attention that the Dublin full back line might put on, on Cora, there's Sarah Rowe and Grace Kelly in the, in the other two corners that, that could find those gaps. Okay, so next question. Most important matchup. Elaine is talking about Goldie, uh, and I think the most important matchup is going to be how Dublin take on Cora um, and what they, what they do with that. Sinead Ahern and Goldie, maybe for Cora, is, is where I'm looking at. What about you guys, Emma? Yeah, I think there is a huge, huge kind of focus on Cora going into this match and it's something that she's going to thrive off. Like, you know, she has said it before, she'll say it again, she loves, you know, being double marked, being triple marked and when she gets past those two or three players and puts a score over the bar, she's like, oh, well, I'm one up on you. So, like, she loves that. Um, so I think, yeah, Cora and whatever Dublin do to deal with her. Um, you know, Sinead Finnegan is down to start full back, but I... Last year in that semi-final, they had her on Cora first and then Goldie came in uh, to kind of double team. So I think that's an interesting battle. I need to say something different as well. <laughs> <laughs> Can't talk about Cora all day. Um, I, I'm going to say the matchup actually against Anshinada Hearn in, in, in the, actually the other end of the field. Um, it'll be interesting to see like a man-marking job from one of the, the Mayo backs and whether it's done on a one-on-one -on -one basis throughout the field, just on a match-up basis throughout. Um, because I think she she's very, like, she's very strong free-taker, right? But she's super on play, in play as well. And we, you know, Mayo may just run out of man-markers to mark all of the Dublin backs. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they, they match them up. Yeah, maybe I'm a little biased. I think Mayo are going to have a tougher job containing Sinead Ahern than Dublin will Cora. I just think that Dublin may double team. I think it will be Finnegan and maybe Goldie to come back in. But um, I don't know if Mayo will afford two players to Sinead Ahern. I don't think they will. And I think she's going to be a handful for them today. And I think she has such support and pace running off her that I think Mayo are going to have a tougher time 
personally in the full back line than Dublin are. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the the midfield matchup. Um, I'm just to see McGee and Carey up against like I think Fiona McHale and Aileen Gilroy are two of my players of the season this year. They've been on fire, and in particular, Aileen Gilroy's pace and coming back from injury as well, bursting through the middle. That goal she scored against Cork, like that was no joke, and that was something that, as a Dublin fan, I'm I'm quite scared of today. And I suppose with McHale's experience as well, I think they are a lovely balance. Those two in midfield for Mayo as well. Okay, and finally, the money question. Who is your predicted winner of the senior final today? Dublin. Mayo! <laughs> this is the dub. <laughs> no pressure. This is, this is awkward. Um, can I just sit on the fence? <laughs> no, no. Okay. absolutely not. Um, my heart's saying Mayo, my head's saying Dublin. So I'm going to say Dublin just by one or two. Yeah. Okay, so there you have it. Who are you saying? Oh. <laughs> I was hoping to escape that one. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go for Dublin. And I, um, I purposely didn't wear my Dublin jersey to give away the surprise, but I'm going to say Dublin as well. So, um, so there you have it. Dublin are going to win the All-Ireland as decreed by our panel of experts. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks, Emil, to Claire, Denise and to Emma for taking the time to join us this morning. We really, really appreciate it. It's just great to get your, your kind of insights and your, your experience from the game. Um, and thanks to, to you who came along to join us as well. Much appreciated. We will be back next month with another all-new episode of Fair Game. We're back to a regular recording schedule now with Headstuff. So make sure you search and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at Fair Game Cast for updates. So we're all off to Crow Park now. Enjoy the match. Up the dubs. <laughs> HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fine hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers!